Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Today's scripture reading will be from Matthew 5, verses 3 through 11. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thanks, Brenda. Well, those beautiful words of Jesus lead us into a time where we want to just, uh, so over the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about prayer. And talking about prayer it's a little bit of like talking about playing music. Like at some point you just got to do it, right? And so you can, you can get all the theory, all the grammar that you want if you're trying to learn a language. But at some point you have to speak. And so what I want to do is just lead you in a brief time of a prayer. And if, if, you, um, if you're familiar at all with um, like anything that you've done in your life that has any merit or any, like anything that's hard or difficult, prayer is kind of like that. Um, where we get off track usually right away is we think, oh, prayer should be easy. It's just talking to God, just telling him what I feel. And if you're anything like me, that sustains you for about five minutes. And then your mind is wondering and you're thinking about squirrels or ice cream or coffee or, you don't know, like eat. some thoughts pop in your head. You're like, I didn't even know I could think about that because I didn't know what that was until right then. And so our minds tend to wander. And so how do we train our minds, much like we train our hands to play a a musical instrument, how do we train ourselves to be people of prayer? And so right now, I just want to lead you in a brief time. Uh, There was a a guy um, several hundred years ago named Ignatius, and he developed this spirituality that was based upon what are the things that brought me life today? And what are the things that felt like death to me? You know, that, that thing that happens to you during the day that when you're thinking about it, like you can feel it in your chest. And each night he would reflect on those things. And he would try to see what is going on here. How is the Lord coming to me in this situation? We're going to walk down that path just for a moment. And so first, um, I want you to think about something, whether it was something that happened to you this week something that you experienced, something that you saw on the news that just made you say, why? Why is that happening? Why is that happening to me? Why is that happening to those people? I just want you to rest in that for a moment. I'll give you a brief moment of silence. offer you just a simple prayer. And this is something that's so lost in our society and so so painful, especially when things happen that we have no words for. And this happens so often, right? Something horrible will happen like it did yesterday. 
or a week ago or, or, or this past month. Something horrible will happen. And the first question we ask, which I think is a very appropriate question, is why? Why is this happening? So I just want to offer you a simple phrase as a church. Lord, we, we lament. We lament that this is happening. We have no reasons, no answers, no explanation. We simply identify ourselves with those who are suffering. And so whatever that thing was that kind of popped up in your brain, there's probably a reason for that. That's probably God saying, this is where you are longing. This is where you're longing for the, the, the kingdom to come. You're longing for God's justice is present. So would you just say, Lord, we lament. Lord, we lament that on Easter Sunday, almost 300 Sri Lankan worshipers were horribly murdered. Lord, we lament that black churches in Louisiana have been burned to the ground. Lord, we lament that just yesterday a gunman walked into a synagogue and opened fire. We have no words. We lament. And the beauty of our faith, guys, is that though we may not have answers or reasons for all of these things, though we may not be able to see what is going on in the cosmic scheme of things, We have not just a faith that is defined by a cross, not just a faith that is defined by Friday. We have a faith that is defined by an empty grave, by a tomb that is no longer occupied, by a Jesus who conquered death by death. And so that in those moments, in those moments of profound pain, yes, it is horrible, and yes, we have to sit in that, but we don't have to let that get the last word. And this is the message of Easter And this is where we find ourselves in this church season of Easter time. So on the other side of that, and not to move too quickly, what brought you joy? What do you have in your life to be grateful for? Maybe something that you haven't considered. I'll give you a moment to see what pops up. What is bringing you life today? encourage you. God, we thank you. Ecclesia, if we could be people of gratitude, we would profoundly shape and change the world that we walk in. And so what is bringing you joy this morning? It could be the simplest thing. It could be that you are drinking a delicious cup of single origin coffee. It could be that your child slept through the night last night. It could be that the semester is almost over, although I, I suspect that is probably bringing you death right now. What is bringing you life? Can you just offer a simple thanks? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. God, we give you joy. We give you our joy, and we turn it back to you, Lord, because you are a God of joy. You're a God of kindness. You're a God of empathy. So, Lord, we just practice this here this morning. And as we go throughout this series, we will engage in different practices, some of them corporate, some of them individual, like the one we just went uh, journeyed on. And so I, I hope uh, when we talk about prayer, it's not just something that we're sort of saying like as some kind of idea, because it's much more than that. Now, what if I told you that right here, right now, in the middle of this middle school auditorium, we were going to start a revolution? You guys ready? Yeah, let's do it. What if I told you that right here, right now, we were going to turn the world upside down? Now, this revolution wouldn't be a violent revolution or a retributive one or a revolution, uh, but, but this would be a revolution where justice is done. 
especially for those with the least amount of power and resources. A revolution where people's hearts are turned towards God, where they long for His presence and they want to orient their whole lives around His will. A revolution where children are honored and cared for, where racism is replaced by genuine understanding and even affection, where prisoners are dignified, holiness is primary, and the earth is cared for. Right here, right now, we're starting it. You guys ready? We're going to fix it all. I mean, I feel like I could run for president on that platform. That's pretty good, right? Everybody else is running for president, so I feel like might as well too, huh? Now, that may seem like a little bit of a, uh, a big promise, but it's this kind of world-altering revolution that Jesus announces in Matthew chapter 5, that, that passage that Brenda just read for us so beautifully. Uh, she read that blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And notice, notice what Jesus is saying to these people as he's proclaiming this message. He's not saying that someday in the future you will be blessed. That someday, at the end of it all, when you have this really hard life, on the other side of eternity, you will be blessed. No, this blessing is not future-oriented. It is right here and right now. Jesus in Matthew 5 stands up on a mountain, and he announces that the kingdom is coming. It is coming in power. It is coming with all of God's beauty. Matthew 5 through seven. If you haven't read it, church, I encourage you, sit down with these, these world-changing texts. Find some time this week because Jesus is doing something profound. And right here in the middle of this beautiful, expansive vision of what the kingdom of God looks like, right here in the middle of it, Jesus gets at what I think is the center of our life as we try to live into this revolution as we try to live in this kingdom as on earth here as it, is, uh, as it is in heaven. And the question would be, how do we get started? How do we begin to start this revolution? Well, like the answers seem pretty obvious, right? Like if we're going to try to uh, make sure that all those who are hungry are fed, we need to start programs. We need to train leaders. We need to find, get the right people on the bus. And all of that is so valuable and so important. But Jesus in Matthew 6 makes a strong point about what it is that is at the center of this kind of movement. Where do we start? How do we sustain it? Because I, here's what I think. I think when I said all of that about justice being done, about people's hearts being oriented to God, about love sort of being the fabric of the universe that our lives are lived into, everybody in here is saying yes to that. Amen. Right? We want that kind of world. But here's the thing. With that kind of cosmic big vision, how do we even begin to be a part of it? And I think Jesus gives us a hint right in the middle of this world-shaking teaching in Matthew 6. And so how do we start? How do we begin to live into this world? Well, Jesus' response is prayer. The animating force that makes it possible to live out the expansive vision of the Sermon on the Mount is the slow, faithful, work of prayer. Now, for many of us in here, you might find yourself included in this, prayer is one giant mystery, right? Have you ever started praying at night before you went to bed and then awoke the next day and said, amen? I guess, right? Maybe your experience with prayer is just something people do before a meal just to kind of, you know, check it off the list before you can get to the eating. 
maybe maybe prayer just seems like you you've been in people or circles of people where it just seems like prayer is sort of a an exercise and people um almost trying to say something to the other people around them about god you know they're kind of sermonizing in the prayer they've got some things they want to say to their neighbor but they can't say it to them but if you say dear lord please 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 remind us to take showers before we come to small group and you know you can say that to the lord and it just it immediately has that endorsement of holiness Maybe you are a person who genuinely wants to pray but finds it really difficult and you don't know where to start. Maybe you are a person who has prayed for something that did not happen. And it wasn't something like, dear Lord, I would really like a Ferrari. Please, God. No, it was something like, dear Lord, please heal. I don't know where else to turn. If you're, if you're God and it would seem uh, that, that you're the only one who has the power to do this, then, then I, I need you. And maybe you've offered those kinds of prayers and they weren't answered. And so the, the reality is for many of us in here, prayer is, is not uh, something that we are unfamiliar with. It's just something that we feel like is, is for other people. It's for monks and nuns. It's for people that spend their time sitting around doing nothing. And maybe your questions are more philosophical. Like, why? Does prayer even change anything? Like, if God is sovereign, he's just going to do what he wants. Do, why, why do we need to pray? Whatever your experience with prayer... Over the course of the next several weeks, I want to dive into a very simple practice. And at the same time, what I think we're going to do is find that we're not just engaging a practice. We are moving towards the very heart of God. Because here in Matthew 6, this text that we are going to spend our time in, I think that we, we see what the early church father, Tertullian, described as the epitome of the whole gospel. And what I want to do here this morning and throughout this series is paint uh, is paint a picture of what it looks like for our church, Ecclesia, to truly be a people that are animated and formed by prayer. To be a praying community to show you why it's truly the most active thing that we can do. And we see the world's uh, problems. We see all these things going on. And this happens so often, right? Something horrible happens in our world. And people respond and they say, thoughts and prayers. Right? And over the last couple of years, there's been this sort of counter-response to that response. When somebody gets on social media and says, my thoughts and prayers are with those enduring this great tragedy. At that moment, somebody gets on. Well, it's like, we need to do more than think and pray. Right? And I wonder, I wonder how many times people are thinking and praying just for the mere exercise of putting that on a social media post. Or saying, yeah, I see this. Or just kind of trying to respond in whatever way they can. But my conviction, the thing that I, I see in the life of Jesus and in the teaching of Jesus is that if we truly were to be a people who, who stopped and prayed and said, Lord, change the atmosphere, change what's going on here, that God would do something profound. Maybe not for that situation. We don't know. Maybe something profound in and through us that would shape us towards the heart of God. Jesus starts in Matthew 6, and we're going to be working in there. If you have a Bible, you can pull that out. Um, are we, how's the lights out there? We're still working through some things. Okay. Matthew chapter 6. Hey, I kind of like being able to see you guys. This is nice. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, if you have a Bible. If you have a phone, there's a guest network here that we can all get on together. Jesus says in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, And whenever you pray, 
Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus' culture was one where people wore their religion on their sleeves. It was a culture of honor. So doing things in front of other people was not necessarily, like, Americans, we have this sense of, like, hey, like, you don't have to show everybody that you're doing great. Like, just do it over there. But in Jesus' culture, it wasn't really like that. There was an expectation that perhaps you could do things in front of other people because you wanted to be more honored in the society. And many Jews in Jesus' day prayed prayers multiple times a day. They prayed a prayer called the Shema, Shema Israel, uh, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. They would say this over and over again, Behold, the Lord your God is one, O Israel. And so they would pray this prayer. They also had a prayer that would become known as the 18 benedictions. Um, You can almost envision the psalm that we read, Psalm 150, is about about 10 lines, 12 lines, somewhere in there. There were 18 of these stanzas that they would pray through. And if you really wanted to do it right, you had to pray through all 18 of these three times a day. They would pray before meals. They would pray during meals. They would pray after meals. Jesus' society was not one where they were lacking for prayer, right? Now, here's the thing. In our culture here in Princeton, if you were to go to community today, stop what you are doing and say that you are doing your daily prayer for the day, just kind of in the middle of the crowd, how would people respond to you? You're weird, right? Right? Like some people might think it was a nice curiosity, but for the most part, it's like, yeah, we don't really, that's not where our culture is. That's not where our society is. And in so many ways, Jesus is saying, To the ones that he's criticizing, he says they have received their reward in full. And the reward that these hypocrites sought was public recognition and admiration. But Jesus is saying here, he's saying if you want to pray, if you want to pray the kinds of prayers that not only change the world but will begin to change you, go to the quiet place because the reward there is greater. So what is the reward that Jesus is pointing us towards? What is the reward that's better than seeking the approval of our neighbors and the people that live around us? He's saying the reward that he's inviting us into is, is the reward of being alone with God, of being shaped by him. Jesus is saying that the reward is relationship, presence with God, communion, intimacy, When we go to the quiet places to be with God, when we carve out space in our day for silence, to listen to the voice of God, to hear him tell us how deeply he loves us, we receive the reward of life and life to the full. Notice what it says. Your heavenly Father who sees in secret. God is waiting for you there. You know, we have a phrase in our society, I feel so seen right now. What would it mean for God to see you, to see you in your anguish, to see you in your pain, to see you in your joy, to see you in the places where you are being formed? God is waiting there in the quiet place. And Jesus puts this teaching right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying we have this big vision for what it looks like when God's kingdom comes. It is expansive. It is huge. It is beautiful. How do you get there? Go to the the quiet place. 
And as followers of Jesus, we have to internalize this because, uh, you know, if we read the Bible, we see these like giant things happening. Like Elijah calls down fire from heaven. People march around Jericho seven days at a time and the walls fall. And Jesus is saying, that's all good and well. But you want to start a revolution? Go to the quiet place. Be alone with God because you will see that the reward is God himself meeting you there. Friends, if you knew how much God delighted in you, if you could just see that for a moment, I'm not sure you would ever leave the quiet place. If you knew that he longs for you to be near you, uh, he wants you to pour your life out to him and your heart and your fears before him, I think you would make time for it. And so uh, what, what I want to show you today is that God wants to show you his heart, that he is kind that he is merciful, that he is drawing you near. And, and I must say, friends, like for us in this culture, there's probably no more countercultural a discipline than silence. I mean, think about your day. Think about how often you are inundated, whether it's your, uh, your phone, which is designed to keep your attention. Like there is a whole attention economy at this point. Social media apps are free, right? So guess what the product is? It's your mind. It's your attention. That's what, that's what they're trying to, uh, to sort of buy into. And so the question that Jesus is asking here, the question he's asking of us, is what reward do we seek? Jesus is saying that the reward is God himself, his love, instead of the voices that are, uh, instead of the, the voices that are, are around us, his love. And we strive to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And Jesus goes on. In verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. In Jesus' culture, as we already talked about, they were not short on prayer. They would pray a lot. And Jesus here brings another people group into the conversation. He says, don't pray, don't babble on like the pagans, the Gentiles. This is the other group referenced here. And often people in these uh, religious expressions thought that they had to get their God's attention. Or that they had to say the right phrase just exactly correctly in order to make them respond. Or even they thought that they might have to wear the gods down. Like, you know, I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to ask it 40 times and maybe on the 41st time you'll say yes. So they would fill the time of prayer with endless words, trying to find the favor of the gods. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to do that. Now, is Jesus saying that any long prayer is bad? Or that any prayer that offers a lot of words is is somehow against his will? I, I don't think so at all. What I think Jesus is trying to do here, trying to point us toward, is he's trying to change the dynamic of our relationship to God. Think about the closest relationships that you have in your life. Think about the people that you feel most at ease with. Sure, there are times, maybe when you're catching up, if you haven't seen them for a while, where you fill the air excitedly with words. You're telling them what's been going on, what you've been feeling. But aren't there times with those people that you can just do nothing? Aren't, those, aren't there times with those people where you can just sit and be? And you don't feel the need to kind of cut the awkwardness, to cut the situation, because you know that they know you, and you know them, and sometimes you're just going to be together and not have to say anything at all. 
It's the ease of being known by another person, of being known uh, by another person so much that you feel welcomed. And perhaps Jesus is saying that when you pray, there's not some minimum amount of words or not some appropriate formula that he wants from you. Perhaps what God is saying is that you can be at ease here. That you can be yourself here. That God is not wanting for you to put on a religious performance and tell him how awesome he is and and say all the things you've been doing um, during your day. Perhaps he's wanting you to say, "This this is where I am, God. And to be shaped and formed by what he is saying to you. Because have you noticed, have you ever had a relationship with somebody where one person does all the talking? This is a very one-way relationship right now, right? That's kind of, it gets a little tiresome, right? It gets a little weird. Perhaps the God of the universe, were we to sit in silence, has something to say to you. And friends, as we talk about prayer, as we talk about this prayer that Jesus leads us into, I'm actually bold enough and crazy enough just to believe that you might be able to hear it. That it's not just for pastors or for people who uh, work in religious fields, that God wants to speak to every person. Jesus is saying that when people find right relationship to God, and they seek the reward of relationship with God when they are at ease in his presence because his heart is kind and he loves you, the world itself will be changed. Jesus is saying, you want to know how to get to a world where the meek inherit the earth or the poor are blessed? Go to the quiet place. Be alone with God. Find that he is waiting for you there. And guys, this seems like the most absurd thing in the world, right? Like, this is not our culture at all. We want, we want real and practical solutions. We want to be able to put our hands on something and say, this is the way forward. But you want to start a revolution? You want to see the world change? Jesus says, go in your room, close the door, and find the God who waits for you in the quiet place. You want to see those who hunger and thirst filled? You want to see the meek inherit the earth? You want to see people lifting up God's name as holy? Go to the quiet place. And friends, when I think about the kind of reward that I want for this church, I don't want the kind of reward that Jesus criticizes here. I don't want to be people who we can fill a room and we can say, oh, look at the great thing we've done. We've built a nice church that is just like all the other churches that, um, you know, or or is just slightly different than the other churches. No, the reward that I seek, the reward that I want for this church, for this community is nothing short of revival. It's nothing short of a renewal of this area, a renewal of people's hearts that are pointed towards God. But when people's hearts are pointed towards God, as we see in the Sermon on the Mount, people uh, that are hungry are fed. People that are dishonored are honored. People that are outcasts are brought close. Friends, I want to see Ecclesia be a part of that kind of movement of the kingdom. But the revolution doesn't come with grand promises and big campaigns. It comes as we, as individuals, and as we as a church meet the Lord in quiet, as we bow our knees in his presence. You know, throughout the history of the church, there have been countless revivals in different locations uh, built upon these, like, the the most seemingly inconsequential things, uh, seemingly inconsequential people, seemingly inconsequential prayers. 
I, I think of the Moravians, a small German estate called Hernhut. In the 18th century, this, this man named Nicholas Zizendorf and about 300 others started a 24-7 prayer movement. And out of that movement, missionaries were sent all over the world to the marginalized. You know, I saw a story once where uh, a couple from the Hernhut estate went to St. Thomas and worked amongst slaves that were working there. And they would identify their lives with the slaves. They wouldn't live uh, as, as they were privileged to live, but they would actually live their lives right alongside of them. And many of these Moravians suffered shipwreck. They, sh- they suffered injury. They suffered, uh, you know, being persecuted. But what they saw was that the reward that waited in quiet, the reward that Jesus is describing here, was far greater. I think of the... Uh, the the revival in the Hebrides, uh, some islands off the Scottish coast. There was two old, old women. I can say old, I think pretty safely here. Mid-80s, right? Are we okay there? Okay, all right. Sometimes I say that and people are like, oh, you think that's old, huh? Christine and Peggy Smith. They couldn't attend church regularly because Peggy was blind and Christine had horrible arthritis. So they communed with God in their living room. And they prayed. They prayed the simple prayer that churches in their hometown would be filled again. Within a year, a man named Duncan Smith came and led a sweeping revival where whole towns came to faith. And one writer reflecting on a similar revival in Welsh mining towns in the early 20th century says, he said, we do not know how this revival has originated. We have no idea how many thousands have been praying in private for it. Nobody knows how many. Nothing but the day of judgment will reveal it. Friends, for Ecclesia, we are going to be a people of prayer because prayer brings us into the scope of God's work in the world. And as we see, if you read Matthew 5 through 7, you see that God's heart for the world is not some sort of religious um, expression that is detached from reality. It is a fullness of reality. It is the fullness of God's heart lived out in community. Prayer, being with God, longing for what he longs for. This is the way that the world is changed. And when we spend time in the quiet place with God, we not only begin to know God more, we not only begin to know ourselves more, our hearts begin to beat for what his heart beats for. And Jesus embodied this at every turn of his life. Specifically on a cross, he gave his life on a hill outside of Jerusalem, it seemed like such a waste, such an ignominious death, such, such an uh, inconspicuous death, but it was the full manifestation of the way God works in the world. The dead wood chopped down and cut up to be made, an instrument of torture and death becomes a seed that will show the whole world how much God loves them. Friends, if you struggle with prayer, see what God is demonstrating on the cross that he would do anything to be in relationship with you. And Jesus is inviting you. He says, come to that quiet place. He loves you. He gave himself for you. And he longs to be in relationship with you. And so during this series, we're going to explore the big truths of the kingdom of God. And in just a moment, we're going to pray through the Lord's Prayer as a community. But friends, if you struggle with prayer, can I just tell you, you're not alone. 
But can we start to not just say, okay, that's something that's too hard for me. Let's, let's try by practice. Let's try by effort to see if God might be shaping us and pointing us towards a new reality. When we spend time with Jesus, our hearts beat for what his heart beats for. And as a community, as the pastor of this church, that is what I want more than anything, is that we would be a people who reflect God's heart because his heart is kind. Let me pray for us. Beautiful Jesus, you are good. God, you long to be near to us. God, you long that you would know us, God, that, you would, that we would know ourselves known by you in the secret places. And so, God, as we begin this journey through the Lord's Prayer, as we begin to be shaped and moved by the words that you offered some 2,000 years ago, God, would you help us to, to, to long for your presence, God? Would you help us to see that we are loved by you? God, would you meet us? in profound ways, Lord, would you begin to shape us as a community uh, of prayer because there are individuals here that are going away to the quiet place, Lord. And would we see that in your presence, God, there is profound hope, not just for us, but for the world. God, we ask that you would be near to us as you promised you would. We love you. It's in your name we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.